We are going to continue our series this week, The Good Shepherd, Part 3. In this series, we've been talking about, I think, something super important. That's just following Jesus instead of other things. And perhaps the most important thing you need to get right in your life is who you trust. Amen? You trust the wrong sources, they're going to lead you astray. You trust the right sources, you're in safe hands. So this series is all about making sure that we are trusting in and following Jesus. Kind of two different things. We need to trust Jesus, and then we need to do what he says because we trust him. So we want to trust in and follow Jesus. Not Christian culture, because there's all that Christian culture stuff, and you can be part of Christian culture, and you can be following that and have no clue who Jesus is. You're just following, going through what everybody else is doing, Christian culture. I don't want you following celebrity pastors. I don't care if it's a big fancy one or somebody like me. Don't be following celebrity pastors. They are a poor, 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 poor representation of Christ, and will let you down. Don't follow church. We don't want to trust in and follow church. We want to trust in and follow Jesus. And then for sure, things like politics, internet, media misinformation. We don't want to follow any of that stuff either. So we want to grab hold of the good things of God. And in the Gospel of John chapter 10, Jesus talks about being the good shepherd. And this is a response to a bunch of religious dysfunction that he was dealing with in his day. And, you know, guess what? It's just, it's part of the deal. It was, there was religious dysfunction in Isaiah's time, Jesus' time, our time. Before things that we saw in John chapter 9 with regards to religious dysfunction that we talked about last week, things like inappropriate blame, like blaming the wrong people, condemning the wrong people. That's religious dysfunction. Just totally missing the point, you know, having no clue what's really going on. Threats and power plays, you know, that's that's not what we want. You know, that happens in dysfunctional religion. Boldness, trying to cover up ignorance and insecurity. You know, we don't want any of that stuff. We saw all that in John chapter 9. So Jesus is dealing with that here in John chapter 10. And this is normal stuff, you know, like uh, boldness, covering up ignorance and insecurity, you know, missing the point, blaming the wrong people, threats and power plays. This is all just normal stuff. It just does not belong in church. It does not belong in the kingdom of God. It does not belong in true religion. When that stuff infiltrates, then we end up misrepresenting God. It gets yucky and terrible. And so we don't want that. He addressed that by beginning in the gospel of John chapter 10, verse one, with this that we read the first week. Jesus says, very Truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice but they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. So since they didn't get it, Jesus continues. So that's where we pick up the new stuff we're going to talk about, new material. So continuing in the gospel of John chapter 10, let's break this up into chunks. We're going to go all the way from 
verse 7 to verse 21. But each thing Jesus says kind of has its own point, so we're going to hit those points as we go. So the Gospel of John, chapter 10, verses 7 through 10. So this is immediately after the Pharisees didn't understand what Jesus was telling them. He didn't understand, the Pharisees didn't understand he was criticizing false religion and trying to help people uh, fall in love with the Son of God, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, Jesus, who is the Christ. Here we go, verse 7. Therefore, Jesus said again, Very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. So there's a tremendous contrast here between the thief who comes to steal, kill, and destroy and Jesus who is there that they may have life and have it to the full. Jesus starts with saying that he is the gate. He says, I am the gate for the sheep. So that signifies the gate is the, the transition from the, the safe pen where they can spend the night and not have to worry about the wolves coming and then going out to pasture and to find the, the provision that they need. So this indicates safety, which, you know, we saw that right there. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. I got a little footnote uh, or kept safe. You know, it makes sense. You know, the, the sheep pen keeps out the wolves and you're safe. But then also the through the gate, you go out during the day led by the shepherd into the, uh, the still waters and the green pastures and that sort of a thing. So this, this talks about both safety and provision. That's what this is talking about. Jesus brings life, life to the full. So Jesus is the gate that signifies safety, salvation, and provision, pasture. Jesus brings life and life to the full. But the Pharisees or false religion, if we're going to, you know, broaden that for our own purposes, because I believe that we've got plenty of that today. We don't have a whole lot of Pharisees around as far as I know, but we've got plenty of false religion, plenty of people who are trying to serve God, but they're doing it so poorly that it hurts people. The Pharisees and false religion, they're thieves and robbers that come to steal kill and destroy. So bad religion steals, kills, and destroys. Jesus brings life and life to the full. Note John 10, 10, one of the most quoted verses in the Bible. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Very important verse. And uh, this is not talking about the devil. It's talking about bad religion. Did you know that? Like, uh, now, of course, the devil steals, kills, and destroys. But Jesus is, he's talking about the Pharisees. He's talking about bad religion. He's talking about when church goes wrong. That's what he's talking about. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He's saying bad religion steals, kills, and destroys. Now, of course, the devil does too, but that's not the context of this verse. You know, and Jesus says, by contrast, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full life abundantly, life more abundantly. That's what Jesus is talking about. So it certainly fits the devil, but Jesus is talking about bad religion. The thief, bad religion, comes to steal, kill, and destroy. 
But Jesus, a real relationship with the Lord, brings life and life to the full. Isn't it amazing that there can be such different things under the same banner? Like if you're going to say Christianity, (laughs) that you can have bad religion that steals, kills, and destroys, and you can have a relationship with the living God that brings life and life to the full, that you can have such tremendous contrast under the same banner. It's a shocking contrast under one banner. Now here, pay attention to this. I hope you understand what I'm saying, but here's my kind of one of my fun statements for the day. Christianity can never give you what Christ can, if you know what I'm saying. Christianity can never give you what Christ can. Christian culture, Christian theology, Christian groups, Christian ideas. Compared to Christ, that's nothing. Get to know Jesus. Don't let bad religion steal, kill, and destroy when you can have Jesus giving you life and life to the full. So that's the first point Jesus makes when the Pharisees don't understand. He says, I'm the gate. I'm here to give them life and life to the full. But the thieves and robbers steal, kill, and destroy. So we see an incredible distinction between walking with and knowing Jesus versus bad religion. Let's continue. John chapter 10, verses 11 through 13. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. (laughs) So what is Jesus talking about here? Now, before, you know, we got steal, kill, and destroy. We got thief. You know, that that is a very negative connotation. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. This is darkness. This is bad. This is immoral. This is wrong. Is it wrong to be a hired hand? Well, it's, it's fine. Does the hired hand, does the employee care as much about the business as the owner of the business, the person who started the business? course not you know uh and that's true you know all over the place you know you start a business and you try to pass on your values to your employees it can be challenging you know for me uh, i've started churches it can you know my wife and i discovered long ago that our the church we start is the most important thing in our lives you know there's there's our relationship with god and then it's church (laughs) You know, the in the assemblies of God, they tell us it's your relationship with God, then it's family, then church. Make sure you keep it in that order. You're going to have some serious problems. So, but I got to tell you, those are very tight when you're a church planter. They're all right up there because you're eating and sleeping and dreaming and bleeding church. You know, I mean, you're just trying to get the thing going and it's the most important thing in the church planter's life. But it's not the most important thing in anybody else's life. (laughs) And neither should it be. You know, like, why should it be? So you can't expect people to give the same level of effort, the same level of sacrifice, if they're not the owner of the business, if they're not the church planter, if they're just a hired hand, if they're just an employee looking for a paycheck, it's going to be a different deal. And that's not necessarily evil. But we see here, The good shepherd is not just a hired hand. The love of the good shepherd is profound. 
you know, he would lay down his life for the sheep from verse 11. Now, the hired hand is not going to lay down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is there to get paid. The hired hand is there to do a job, you know, probably believes in what's happening, but isn't going to make the same level of sacrifice. So the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep, but the hired hand does not. So the Pharisees, the thieves, that represents bad religion. I'm sure you've probably seen that. What about hired hand? What is, what's that in our culture today? Who are the hired hands? Well, I mean, is that me? Am I a hired hand? Because, you know, I'm an under shepherd. There's Christ. And then, you know, there's me trying to serve Christ. And I'm a pastor and I talk to people and, you know, that sort of thing. Is, does that make me the, the hired hand? Well, I hope not to a certain extent, but let's, let's look at two sides of that. So I hope not the hired hand in this respect. So when I was a new pastor, I had an interim pastor job, which meant I was at a place for a little while. And I was trying to help the church get to a place where they could call a senior pastor that could be there for the long term. And I was there for about a year, year and a half. And they finally got a guy who could come in and be a long-term pastor. And I could tell there was something not so perfect with him. So I actually sat down with him because I felt like this dude's going to fly. You know what I mean? This guy, I, I could just tell he was a hired he was a hireling. He was a hired hand like this is talking about. Somebody's going to run away. And so I sat down with him, you know, before he came in. He had been voted in, but he hadn't started yet. And I went over John chapter 10 with him. And I was like, you know, you got to be a good shepherd. You don't just run away when something doesn't go your way. You know, this community needs you. This little church needs you. You know, be tough and last. Don't run away. And uh, so I sat down with him. I, I had that conversation with him. It seemed to go well. And then he went to the church and he said, hey, you know, I want the, uh, I want the entryway all painted. I want to do a little bit of uh, sprucing up of the building, you know, before my first Sunday so people realize there's something new here. You know, that's, that's what I want to do. I want to have it look nice so that people are like, hey, this is a new era. Things are going to go forward here at the church. We're going to make some progress. And the church board was like, you know, the roof needs fixing and the furnace is about to go. And we just, we don't have mon enough money for both of those. We don't want to spend a, a bunch of money on just interior decorating. So, so we're not going to do that. And uh, so this guy, since they decided not to paint the entryway, he said, well, if you're not going to do that, then I'm not coming. And he quit before his first Sunday. And I just was like, you've got to be kidding me, man. I thought you would at least show up for your first week and preach, but he quit. And then that church closed. And I'm still a little angry about that, as you might be able to tell. But that's the hireling in the one sense. You know what I mean? Like, don't just be like that. Don't be the itching ears person. Don't be the person who's all about yourself. Don't be the person who's going to run here and there because you don't get your way. You know, don't be a hireling in that respect. But let me tell you this. I don't care how good your pastor is. I don't care how good your church is. I don't care how good of a Bible teacher the people that you listen to are. I don't care how good they are. They do not hold a candle to Jesus Christ doesn't matter. I am nothing compared to Jesus. Any big celebrity pastor is nothing compared to Jesus. The pastor who's serving in a small church and loving that little community with everything he's got is nothing compared to Jesus. So don't substitute in 
a really good pastor, a really good Bible teacher for the good shepherd. Amen. Don't substitute that person in. So I got one more point I want to make with this one. And that is that, you know, sometimes people, they want to talk to me instead of one of the staff pastors. And that's cool. I appreciate that. But uh, I just can't be everywhere. And so if you want to make an appointment, there's actually someone above me at Good Hope Church that you can make an appointment with who has time. And that is Jesus, the good shepherd. So if you want to go to the top dog at Good Hope Church, you don't go to me, go straight to Jesus. Because he should be the top dog at all churches, and he has an amazing ability to be able to meet with more than one person at the same time. So you can make time with Jesus. But hey, Joe and Linda, I'm hoping to get some time carved out for you. So there you go. Um, anyway, Jesus is the good shepherd, not the hired hand. So he's not going to run away. Let's not be hired hands ourselves in that negative sense, but we're certainly never going to be Jesus. So go to Jesus. Jesus is the good shepherd that lays down his life for the sheep. Now let's continue. Verse 14, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. So again, same, same starting here. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also they too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. All right. The good shepherd knows the sheep and the sheep know him. Hallelujah. So obviously God knows us. If we believe that God is all knowing, then he knows you. He knows what's going on in your heart. He knows what's going on in your mind. He knows what's going on in your life. He knows what you've been through. He knows what you're thinking. Hallelujah. Our God knows you. Jesus knows you. But here it says, I know my sheep and my sheep know me. So that means that it's possible to get to know Jesus. That means that we can have a personal relationship with Jesus. We can get to know him, not just know about him. When I was a new believer, I was trying to understand this. And I, I was talking to uh, different Christians. I was a little bit obnoxious in different Bible studies and stuff. And I'd be like, can you have a personal relationship with Jesus? And they're like, yeah. And I said, if, if, do you? And they're like, oh yeah. I'm like, well, then what's his favorite color? You know, like, tell me, tell me stuff about him. <laughs> because I'm like, I can know about George Washington. I can study George Washington, but I can't have a personal relationship with George Washington. I, I can study about Jesus. How is it that that's different from studying about George Washington? And here's the difference. The difference is you get to pray and have Jesus hear you. You get to worship and make a real connection with the Lord Jesus Christ. You get to seek God, ask him questions, and God will respond. You get to knock on the door and the door opens. And then we start to learn the ways of God, put those things into a into practice and we start to see even more things and we can start to serve the Lord and do these things. And it brings us into the type of relationship with God that's very different from the relationship you can have with facts and information and things like knowing a lot about George Washington, being a scholar along those lines. Knowing a lot about religion is very different from knowing God. Jesus says, my, I know my sheep and my sheep know me. We want to get to know him. And then there's this fantastic statement here. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. 
Don't let that thing go past you because that is the statement of the new covenant, you know, in sheep shepherd form. What it means is that the Gentiles are going to be brought in and that the Jews and the Gentiles, the children of Abraham, the chosen people, the people of God, and then all the pathetic losers of the world to overstate it because God loves all the people and he always has. I might cite, you know, the Ninevites, and uh, Jonah as a great example of that in the Old Testament. So God loves all the people, and uh, but now there's going to be a bringing in of the Jews and the Gentiles together to make one body. This is an amazing concept to be told to a Jewish audience because they were very proud of being, you know, the the chosen ones, the ones that God actually liked. But Jesus is saying, nah, you know what? We're bringing in the rest of them too. Whoever wants to believe is welcome in. And so that is profound. And hallelujah for that because that means everybody gets their chance. There is no one who is excluded. Now, even in uh, Old Testament times, you could convert to Judaism even if you didn't have the bloodline. But at the same time, you know, it, there was definitely a separation there for a certain period of time. And now all the Gentiles get to come in. Everyone is welcome. This is a big deal. There's going to be one flock and one shepherd. So, how many flocks? How many shepherds? Beautiful picture. Glorious, glorious picture, but bad religion comes to steal, kill, and destroy, and bad religion has destroyed the one flock under the one shepherd, and now we're all divided and fighting with each other, so it's irritating. What am I going to do? I'm going to go forward even though this world is full of imperfections. I'm going to go forward loving Jesus, trusting in God, and trying to make a positive difference, acknowledging that things aren't the way that they should be, because bad religion, the thief, has stolen the idea, destroyed the idea of one flock under one shepherd, one global flock of followers of Jesus working together, loving one another, and trying to advance the kingdom of God. Now you got people fighting with each other, and it's just, it's yucky. So we can still go forward trying to grab hold of the beautiful things of God. So the good shepherd knows the sheep, and the sheep know him. Then verses 17 and 18, something Jesus has said already twice before in this section of scripture, 17 and 18, the reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down out of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. So here Jesus is talking about the events of Holy Week. You know, again, Palm Sunday, we're going into Holy Week. We've got, you know, Monday, Thursday, which is the Last Supper, Good Friday, the crucifixion, and then uh, Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday. This is what Jesus is talking about, laying down his life, but not just laying down his life. He has authority to lay it down, but then authority to take it up again, to have resurrection life shown through Christ, who he is. So this is an incredible foreshadowing of the events of Holy Week. Jesus is talking about his death and resurrection. He is the good shepherd. He is the one who lays down his life for the sheep, but he doesn't just lay down his life. He also grabs hold of resurrection life 
And that is something that he shares with us. We can grab hold of resurrection life as well. We trust in the good shepherd. We hear his voice and follow him. And he leads us into not just the, uh, the life to the full here in this life, but into everlasting life. And it's an incredible, incredible, beautiful picture. We've got a few more verses to read here, closing out this situation. So Jesus has made all his comments about being the good shepherd and the distinction between false religion and following Jesus, even the hirelings and following Jesus, the one shepherd and one flock bringing together the Jews and the Gentiles in an incredible moment, you know, like that's just really, really not something they had the capacity to understand. So now there's the commentary. There's three verses of commentary, people talking about what Jesus had to say. So let's read that. Verse 19, the Jews who heard these words were again divided. Many of them said, he is demon possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him? I just love that. They're honest. You know, one of the great things about the people back then, it seems to me anyway, is they, they weren't Minnesota nice. They're just letting her fly. He is demon possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him? But others said, these are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? So we see That reference, can a demon open the eyes of the blind? That goes all the way back to the beginning of chapter 9 where the man born blind is healed by Jesus making mud, just spitting on the ground, making a little bit of mud. Couldn't have been much, putting it on his eyes, having him go wash, but it was on a Sabbath, so he's breaking the Sabbath, you know, and so there was this huge fuss because bad religion doesn't like it when you don't follow ridiculous arbitrary rules. And so there was this huge fight. That's why they thought he was demon-possessed and raving mad. The man was healed. And they're like, but he spit and made mud. Like, how much would it have been? A teaspoon? It wasn't much. So they just couldn't handle that. That that was an exposing of bad religion. And so they were very upset with him. But some people were like, nah. I think he's from God. I think he's good. I think there's hope. And so the question is, where are you? They were divided back then on who Jesus is, just like people are divided today on who Jesus is. But the question isn't, what does the world think? What do those people think? What are these people? What's the opinion over here? The question is, what do you think? So if you are someone who has looked at religion doing so poorly, and I got to tell you, you know, I mean, I did the same thing. I had a good number of years of just thinking that Christianity was ridiculous. And I think verses 23 and 24 of Romans chapter 2 really sum it up very well. It says, you who boast in the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? As it is written, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Quotation from Isaiah God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. What does that mean? That means that people who don't know God, who aren't part of, say, the Christian world or back then the Jewish world, they're going to blaspheme God. They're going to think poorly of God because of the representative of God's poor representation of who God is. So if you're someone who, you know, you weren't hurt by bad religion, but 
you've looked at it and thought, wow, these people are idiots. That is the thief who comes to steal, kill, and destroy just as much. Because now I want you to see Jesus and who he is and make that distinction between religion and God. Two very, very different things. Even when religion is going well and there's nothing to make fun of, it's still a poor representation of who God actually is. And we can have a real relationship with the living God. We can connect with God and have that. We can come into a relationship with God. Jesus has made the sacrifice that all sins would be forgiven so that we can be made right with God and be brought into God's family. And so if you have either been wounded by bad religion or you've rejected God because you've seen bad religion and thought, well, (laughs) I'm not doing what those people think. I'm not doing what they say. If you're either one of those, I want to pray that you would make a connection with the living God, make a connection with Jesus that could either bring healing or bring that vision of the truth. So let me pray. We'll finish up. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your goodness. And Lord Jesus, I thank you that you are the good shepherd. Lord, give us wisdom to not be pushed away from you by the the thieves and the robbers who come to steal, kill, and destroy, or by the hired hands who abandon. Lord, but let us see you, the one who is willing to lay down his life for the sheep, lay down his life for all of us, for anyone who would come in and believe, anyone who would walk by faith and trust in you. And so, Father, for those who have been hurt by bad religion, first, my heart goes out. Lord, I know you weep over them because they shouldn't have had to go through that. They shouldn't have been wounded in that way. They shouldn't have had something so dark overshadow who you are in their lives. And so, Father, I pray a healing over them in their hearts, in their spirits, in their minds. And Lord, I pray that they would be able to appropriately blame and let bad religion be condemned just like you condemned thieves and robbers. You made that distinction. Lord, help them to do that appropriately, but also to see you for who you are. And may those wounds not cloud their vision of who you are, the love you have for them, the compassion you have on them, the empowerment and life to the full that you have for them. Lord, let them not miss it because of the wounds of the past. And Lord, for those who have just basically made fun of religion, made fun of you because of the foolishness of your followers, Lord, I pray that that person would be able to see the distinction between religion and God between the followers of Jesus and you, Jesus, who you are. And so, Lord, I pray that you would reveal yourself to them. You would show them the the flaws of religion are not who you are, but that you are completely perfect, completely good, and that your heart is there for them and that the sacrifice you made is for them as well. And so, Lord, I pray that you would bring healing and bring vision And Lord, to us who are trying to follow you, empower us to do it well. Help us to actually listen to your voice and follow what you have to say so that we can represent you well and see your kingdom advance. So bless us and encourage us with all these things. In Jesus' name, amen.